Well, good morning, Cornerstone. Thanks for joining us wherever you are. Uh, it's good to be together, even though we're not together. It's good to be together separately. Uh, today's a special day for, for my wife and I. Uh, 33 years ago today, we became parents. Uh, something that changed our lives forever. It was actually on a Sunday morning, and it was about 10 a.m., right on the nose, that uh, our daughter was born, and uh, we've never been the same. So I think she's out there somewhere, so just let me say happy birthday to you, Pumpkin. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Well, we are continuing our study in Philippians. Uh, Todd kicked it off last week by reminding us that we are here for something bigger than ourselves. It's not all about me. Um, that bigger thing is living for Jesus and living for the mission to which he has called us. And when we do that, when we're, when we're living that way, there is joy. Philippians is a book about joy, but maybe more than that, it's a book about fixing our eyes on Jesus, on Christ alone. Todd shared two hooks last week that we can use to understand Philippians. And the first of those is we need to stay laser focused on Jesus Christ. And then the second one is that there is true fellowship and true partnership when we are on mission together of making disciples of uh, people all over the world. I want to expand this morning on those two hooks as we move into the second half of chapter 1. Our text today is uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 30. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you, open there. Uh, we'll be looking at that text this morning. Uh, just a little background to review. Paul is likely in prison in Rome as he's writing this letter. Uh, he established the church in Philippi uh, some years earlier back in Acts chapter 16. Todd took us there last week and we saw that. He has a partnership with this church in Philippi. They have followed his ministry and they're concerned about him. They apparently, apparently heard about his trip to Rome and about how he was shipwrecked, uh, but he survived. But now he's in prison in Rome and they were concerned about him. So Paul writes this letter to reassure them that he is really fine. He is quite fine indeed, even though he is in prison because his absolute life goal and the total central focus is that all of his life points to and centers around Christ and his mission. And regardless of his circumstances, even though he is in prison, he is still on mission. In the same way, Cornerstone, we should be united in something bigger than ourselves. Our mission statement is to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Christ. When we work together to accomplish that mission on that goal, there is a fellowship, there is a partnership, there is a, there is a oneness. And we are quite fine indeed if we are working on that mission, regardless of our circumstances. And when we don't work together on that mission, we feel disconnected and we feel isolated. And even in the midst of, of the era and the time that we find ourselves in, we can keep working on that mission. Now, the book of Philippians is packed, maybe more than any other book of the Bible or New Testament, except for Psalms. Philippians is packed with familiar and powerful verses, very familiar verses that we've known. And one of those is 121, part of our text today. 121 says, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
That word live there is a present tense. So the idea is, for to me, living is Christ. Living is all about Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the passion that drives everything, or should be the passion that drives everything. We pattern our lives after Jesus. We humble ourselves to serve others so that we can give them an accurate picture of God. We seek to make disciples of Jesus, fully devoted followers of Christ, who in turn can make disciples of Jesus so that they can make disciples of Jesus so we can keep passing this message on and on and on. Thus Paul's singular passion to live is Christ. Living is Christ. Life is Christ. There's no other reason for us to live. And so the question that I want to ask us this morning is this. Is Christ the single passion in my life, in your life, that drives everything that we do? Is being on mission, being on Jesus' mission with him, is that what I live for and is that what I breathe and is that what I die for? Am I experiencing the genuine partnership in being on mission with others here at Cornerstone? So that we together as in partnership can make, uh, to give every individual an accurate picture of God by helping those who believe become fully devoted followers of Christ. Is that our passion? Is that our mission? Is that why we live? And so I want to ask, what does it look like to live that way in July of 2020? What does it look that way? How, How does it look for us to live that way right now in this time? Well, what I want to share with you this morning uh, for the rest of our time is four principles that we need to understand. And these principles are built around four difficult circumstances, four hard things. I called them bad things. I think they're only bad in our perspective. But these four difficult areas of life, four difficult circumstances that we need to understand if we're going to keep Christ and his mission at the center of our existence. So let's look at these four four principles, four hard circumstances this morning. First of all is this, messed up plans can advance the mission of Jesus. Messed up, changed, canceled plans can advance the mission of Jesus. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul's plans were totally messed up, disrupted, changed from what he intended. He was on his second missionary journey. Acts 16 records how how they tried to go to Asia and they were stopped. They tried to go to Bithynia and they were stopped. So, So they headed for Troas and they ended up in Philippi, which was the first foray of the gospel into Europe. They started this church in Philippi. Now, Paul is likely writing from Rome, where he always wanted to go. It was his plan to go to Rome, but he traveled there as a prisoner, which was not his plan. And then he was shipwrecked and stranded on an island for several months. And now he is in a Roman prison. Paul's Paul's plans got disrupted, got changed, got messed up. I imagine, uh, text doesn't say, but Paul being a human being, I imagine he was frustrated, he was discouraged. It was probably like, uh, oh, oh, oh no, God, no, didn't I send you the itinerary? Didn't you get my plans? I thought we talked about this when we were praying, and this is not what we talked about. I mean, what's up, God? (sighs) 
Can you relate? Any plans of yours been disrupted lately? I think so. The Philippians were concerned about Paul. So he wanted to reassure them that all of this hardship, all of this suffering, all of his disrupted plans eventually served to move God's mission forward. Kind of like Joseph. Remember Joseph back in the book of Genesis? He had been betrayed by his brothers, being sold into slavery. He spent the best years of his youth from the age of 17 to 30 in prison. And now he could say that even though his brothers meant this for evil, God meant it for good. So that Joseph could be on mission. Joseph's mission was to basically save the nation of Egypt from starvation in the drought. God was absolutely in control of Paul's disruptions, Joseph's disruptions, and the messed up plans and disruptions in your life and in my life. God's in control of those things, and he has reasons for it. Actually, it's not a disruption in God's plan. It's exactly what he was intending. It's only a disruption in our plan. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 1. Paul says, So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because Paul ended up in a Roman prison, because his own plans got messed up, because his life was disrupted, the elite troops, the, the secret service, the, the special forces of Caesar, uh, who was Nero at this time, the imperial guard heard about, the, about Christ. They heard the gospel. Probably not would have, that wouldn't have happened had Paul's plans not been disrupted and he ended up in this Roman prison. And because his plans got messed up and disrupted, other believers, the other believers in Rome had more boldness to share the truth about Jesus. So what looked like a disruption was God's way of moving the gospel forward and advancing the mission. When I was young, I had one plan for my life, one goal, one direction. From the time I was a young boy, my mother tells me, I was going to be a missionary pilot in Alaska. That was it. That's all I ever wanted to do. That's all I ever wanted to be. I applied to one school, Moody Bible Institute, because they had the best missionary aviation program around, and that's what I was going to do. I was accepted into what they called the pre-aviation program, which was a year of Bible training and then further evaluation for flight instruction. I vividly remember the day that I learned I would not be able to go any further in the program. My plans came to a screeching halt. I remember going back to my dorm room and laying on my bed with the lights out and just, just okay, God, um, this is, the only ever, this is the only thing I ever wanted to do. And it just got messed up. It just got canceled. It just got disrupted. So now what do I do? Well, those messed up plans to be a missionary pilot put me on a path to become a pastor. 
And that has given me opportunities and boldness to declare the truth of God's word and encourage others to boldness in ways that would not have happened if I'd become a pilot in Alaska. So let me ask a quite rhetorical question. Have any plans of yours been disrupted lately? Have things not gone the way you expected? Has the path that you thought you were taking been stopped and changed? Yeah, of course. Even when there isn't a global pandemic, things get changed and disrupted in life all the time. Things don't go the way we think. Our, our plans don't materialize the way we thought they would. But are we considering Are we processing, are we meditating on what God might be doing instead of what our plan was? What could be now that could not have been before? What what is God doing now? What could God be doing now that would not have happened if my plans had gone the way I wanted them to? Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Messed up plans can advance the mission of Jesus. And we should rejoice at that and look forward to the changes in our plans that God will make so that his plan can go forward. So that's the the first difficult thing in life that can be used to advance the mission. The second one, the second principle, the second bad thing that could happen to us that would advance the gospel is that selfish, hurtful motives can advance the mission of Jesus. Selfish, hurtful motives can advance the mission of Jesus. Start reading at verse 15 with me. Some indeed, Paul says, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether in bad motives or good motives, whether out of rivalry or partnership, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Because of Paul's imprisonment, the brothers that we saw back in verse 14 were made bolder to proclaim the truth. So more preaching was going on, more gospel was going forward. Now, some of those did it out of a sense of rivalry, and they were trying to make Paul look bad in some way. They They were increasing his affliction and his suffering even while he was in prison. His motive their motives were self-serving and they were hurtful. Apparently, though, they were still preaching the true gospel, or Paul would have called them on it, as he does in other books of the New Testament. Even though their motives were selfish and vindictive, they were preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he was just happy that the gospel was going forward, even though he was being hurt by these uh, vindictive motives. He was willing to suffer and be the victim for the sake of the advancement of the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, that in no way justifies selfish ambition or self-serving rivalry. Not at all. This, This passage 
it can be a bit troublesome because it sounds like Paul is excusing sinful, self-serving motives in people. But no, that's not what he's doing. We should all work to make sure our motives are right and pure. He is just rejoicing that the mission is going forward regardless of motive. God can use even sinful, selfish motives to advance the mission and accomplish his purpose. Paul was dealing with people who had impure motives, and so are we. I have no doubt that in this pandemic, in the, in the racial tension that's going on around us and all the stuff that we see on the news and in social media, I have no doubt that at least some, and not all, I'm not saying everybody has wrong motives, but there's at least some politicians, government leaders, medical professionals, school officials, news analysts, social media gurus, name what you want there, at least some of them have self-serving motives and are using all of this unrest to promote their own agenda. But, but God can use that selfish ambition. God can use those self-serving motives to advance the gospel and move the mission forward in new ways that would not have happened had all this not happened. He can turn what was meant for evil or what was perhaps meant for evil into good. And just like in Joseph's life, Paul tells us in uh, chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15 that we should do all things without grumbling or disputing because we are supposed to shine as lights in the world even in the face of self-serving and twisted motives. So, so folks, instead of grumbling and complaining and looking for conspiracy theories, Let's consider new and creative ways to advance the mission. There are doors open and opportunities now that were not there prior to all this quarantine and shutdown and lockdown. Things are different. Uh, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and put him on display well in the midst of all this. Even if motives are impure, and I guarantee at least some motives are impure and self-serving. I mean, think about it. We personally, and I'm sure you too, we know more of our neighbors better than we did before all this. Many people are experiencing more time with their families and with your kids. You're working at home, so you're able to interact with your kids, which means a greater opportunity to disciple them, to encourage them, to come alongside them. I believe more genuine fellowship and partnership and discipleship can, can happen in smaller groups of people than in this room full of people. And we're forced into smaller groups where we can literally, as soon as the, the service is over, we can discuss some of the things that have been taught and what the Holy Spirit is saying and speaking to us. There's, there's new opportunities that God's using and we need to seize those because, yes, even selfish ambition and self-serving motives can advance the mission of Jesus. Let's look at the third principle, the third difficult thing that can happen in our lives that can still advance the mission of Jesus. And that is this, not getting what I want can advance the mission of Jesus. Not getting what I want, emphasis on I there. 
Let me start reading in the middle of verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, notice the struggle here in Paul between what he wanted for himself and what was better for the sake of Christ. What was better for the sake of Christ and the mission to which he was called. Personally, Paul wanted to die and go be with Jesus. Verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That word desire there is the word that's often translated lust. It means strong desire, strong passion. Paul's strong desire was to depart and be with Jesus and go home and just rest and relax. But he realized it would be of greater kingdom benefit to stay and disciple and encourage the Philippians to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, it's an interesting debate that Paul has with himself, but he really, he really didn't have a choice in whether he lived or died. This wasn't a death wish or anything. He was just processing these two options, imagining what he would do if he did have a choice of living or dying, and, and modeling for us how we should be thinking about priorities in our own life. I would really like to do this, but this would be more beneficial for the kingdom. This is what I want, but this would advance the mission in a greater way. And so I will choose the option that advances the mission over what I personally want for myself. In verse 25, Paul uses two words to describe why he was willing to give up his own desires. And that is for the progress and joy of the Philippians. That, that word joy there means the, the, the thing they gloried in or the thing that they boasted about, which was Jesus. Because Paul gave up what he wanted to do, he was able to move the Philippians further along the spiritual path of making Christ their central focus and the person in whom they gloried and delighted and found their joy. Like I said, all I wanted was to be a missionary pilot. Focus on I. Even after I was eliminated from Moody Aviation, I kept looking at flight schools elsewhere. I found a great school in Denver that, that had a flight program, and I, I found myself plotting and trying to figure out how I could make that work. But ultimately, I changed my major at Moody, and I was on a trajectory towards seminary and eventually ending up in the pastorate. But please, please hear this. My motives were not nearly as noble as Paul's, I was not thinking, I did not think, you know, I want to be a pilot, but it would be better for the mission if I became a pastor. That was not my thought at all. 
Oh no, it was more like, well, that didn't work and that didn't work and that didn't work and that's not working out. So I might as well do this. Now the journey was long and complicated and there's far more to it than all that. But, but the interesting thing is God used my self-serving motives to get me where he wanted me and I did end up giving up what I wanted and it did serve to advance the mission. So let me ask a not so simple question this morning. Where in your life are you holding fast to what you want instead of what God wants? And how is that hindering the advance of the gospel and the advance of the mission of making Jesus known to the world? Where in your life are you holding fast to what you want instead of what he wants? Ask yourself that. Maybe discuss it when we're done here this morning. Let's look at the fourth and last principle about these difficult things that we need to understand. If we're going to keep Christ and his mission at the forefront of our thinking, and that is this, suffering and hardship can advance the mission of Jesus. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul is reminding the Philippians that their suffering, their hardship can and should advance the mission of Jesus. Even in our suffering, we can put Jesus on display well. Let me tell you about my father-in-law, Don's dad. He had a huge heart to love Jesus and love people. He was an eternal optimist, outgoing. He would, he would go to the mall or sit on a park bench just waiting for somebody to walk by that he could start talking to and share Jesus with them. In the last 10 or 15 years of his life, his, his health went downhill pretty bad and pretty hard and his quality of life was pretty lousy. He was in and out of hospitals and nursing facilities I don't know how many times. We certainly lost track of, lost, lost count. Dawn was called back to Oregon several times to come say her last goodbyes because this was it. Dad was going to die. And so she would get on a plane. She would go. He would rally and life would go on. She finally quit going. She and her dad have a great relationship. There was nothing they needed to say to each other, nothing unsaid. And it just wasn't worth it. There was no need to say goodbye again. He told her once, Dawn, I don't know why God just doesn't take me. I'm so tired. And I just want to see Jesus and go home. But every nurse, every doctor, every therapist, every person that he came in contact with saw his joy and his bubbly spirit and heard the good news about Jesus. There was and is no question in our minds why God delayed his home going so long. And why he kept going back into the hospital and back into these nursing facilities. Because somebody else needed to hear about Jesus. His suffering and his hardship advanced the gospel big time. Because he was willing to be used to advance the mission in spite of his personal desire to just see Jesus face to face.
It's interesting, finally, tomorrow is the anniversary of his home going. 14 years ago tomorrow, God finally took dad home where he's resting with Jesus. Many of you are going through hard times. Health issues, loss of job, financial issues, relational damage, all kinds of hardship. But remember this, to live is Christ. So suffer well. Make Jesus look great even in your hardship, even in your difficulty, even with bad self-serving motives swirling around. Make Jesus look great. Back to the central verse of this passage. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You need a life verse? There you go. Philippians 1.21, none better than this. To be alive, which we all are, if you're listening and watching, you're alive. To be alive is to live completely and totally and absolutely focused on Christ and the mission to which he has called us. Nothing else really matters. You know, when the next generation finds our diaries and journals and reads the entries for 2020, what will they find? Will they find lots of grumbling and complaining in our diaries, in our journals? Or will they read that in spite of it all, we were doing just fine, quite fine indeed, thank you. Because just like Paul, we were living for Christ alone. Oh, Lord Jesus, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. To live is to fix our eyes on you and focus on you, on Christ alone. And to be on mission and, and, and everything we do and everything we say and every circumstance of life, every situation, every hurt, every suffering, every messed up plan is so that the mission of Jesus Christ can move forward and be it advanced. So Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Show us where we're failing in that and challenge us and encourage us to keep on keeping on. In Jesus' name, amen.